0: Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. We all have to make decisions in our lives, don't we? And we know this, that for every decision there is a corresponding consequence. Whatever we may decide to do, but the greatest decision that someone can make, I believe, is to repent toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ to save them. Amen. I don't think there's any greater decision. But there's another decision that may be equal to it and like to it after you're saved. And that is the decision to commit your life to faithfully serving the Lord on a day-to-day basis. Two great decisions that we can make. Too many people today want Jesus as Savior, but they don't want him as Lord of their lives. They say, well, I'll just take Jesus. I'll be saved, and then I'll live like I want to live. Listen, salvation and the Lordship of Jesus Christ are not a cafeteria line where you can go through and just pick and choose what you want and say, I'm going to leave the other alone. In fact, and this is my opinion, If you're not willing to make Jesus Lord, you're probably not truly willing to take him as Savior of your soul. Okay? You may agree with that, you may disagree, but that's fine. But that's my opinion. Daniel 1:8. The key to this verse in Daniel chapter 1, in verse 8, is this. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Folks, that's where our worship begins. That's where our service begins. Is in our hearts. Daniel made a decision. Daniel decided, I am not going to defile myself with the world. I'm going to be different and I'm going to take a stand. He in effect drew a line in the sand and said, I'm going to take a stand right here. And he said, I'm going to be faithful to my God. And that decision by Daniel brought some difficulty, but that decision by Daniel also brought great blessing in his life. Now we need to note where Daniel was. He was in Babylonian captivity. We see many times pictures of him in the lion's den like the one used as the background this morning. He's an older man. But when Daniel went into Babylonian captivity he was a young man. Possibly even in his teens. And this young man made that decision purposed in his heart that he was going to serve God. Now, Daniel was a stranger in a strange land. You know what a child of God is in this world? He's a stranger in a strange land. We're not of this world. We're of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're of God. But here's a child, a servant of the Most High God in a land that's filled with idol worshipers. And he's going to stand for God. You know, I read something on the internet, in fact I used it on Facebook a few days ago. Over in Afghanistan there are believers, they're saved people and when they think about gathering together they think we're going to gather together and it's probably going to cost us our lives. In America believers say we're going to gather together well unless there's family to go see or unless there's a picnic we want to go to, or unless it's raining, or unless there's something else that we want to do, and then we're not going to be there. There is a difference between those who commit themselves to the Lord and those who just accept the salvation of God. Now, here's what the Babylonians did when they captured people. They tried to make Babylonians out of them. They would change their names. And that's what they did to Daniel, to this Hebrew. They changed his name. Remember the, the name Daniel ends in E-L. El is the name for God. Elohim. E-L. Okay. And a lot of these Jewish mothers, because they were aware that God was going to send a Messiah, would name their child a name that ended in E-L. So that he would be of God. He'd be identified with God. And that's what E-L does. Daniel. He's identified with God. Well, what did the Babylonians do? They changed his name to Belteshazzar. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, Baal is an identification with the idol god Baal, B-A-A-L. So they tried to make Daniel into a Babylonian who worshipped Baal. But it didn't stick, did it? Daniel knew who he was, and Daniel knew what he was. And Daniel said, I'm not going to be one of these idol worshipers. Listen, the world, the flesh, and the devil would like to turn you and me into just another worldling instead of being a child of God. They'd like us to claim to be saved, but they want us to, and that's okay if we claim to be saved if we'll just live like them, if we'll just have their priorities, if we'll just have their thinking. But remember, whose you are and remember what you are, and remember who should guide us as the people of God. Daniel faced three tests, at least three tests, and we're going to talk about those tests as he faithfully served the Lord, and we're going to see how the act of purposing in his heart to serve God brought great blessing to Daniel, and I believe it brought great glory to God. And the first test is the table of Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar had taken Daniel and he had taken the three Hebrew children we know them oddly enough by the names the Babylonians gave them so often and rarely do we think about their Hebrew names Hananiah Azariah and Mishael. but we know them by what Shadrach Meshach and Abednego the Babylonian names but the king wanted these fine young men and this is what the Babylonians would do they're going to take the finest the smartest, the best educated, first out of a land and move them to Babylon and try to turn them into Babylonians. Then they'd go back for a second group and then a third group. And they tried to take these young men and they were to be fed from the table of King Nebuchadnezzar. What was the problem of the table of the King Nebuchadnezzar? It was polluted by the worship of idol gods. The things, many of the things that they would be fed would be offered in sacrifice to idol gods. Now, the table of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's table looks good when you look at all that's on it. But just remember that Satan is a master deceiver. In naming those things that are not of God in 1 John chapter 2, John names, one of the first things he names is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. Our eyes can look upon things and see things, and it's by the eyes that we're often led away from God. Now, if you look over to the 73rd Psalm, I started to say we're not going to look there, but let's just turn there for just a second. We're not going to read many verses there, but I want you to see what the psalmist said. He said, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw... The prosperity of the wicked. Why did he get envious? Why did he almost turn away from God? He looked away from God and he looked to the world and he said, look what all of these people who are not of God, look at what these wicked people have. I deserve some of that. And so his heart began to be moved away from God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Remember what Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Well, I guarantee you, Demas had to look at the world before he loved the world. He had to see what the world had and see what the world offered before he fell in love with the world. And go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. What does it say Eve thought or Eve recognized when she looked upon that forbidden fruit? It was pleasant to the eyes. Listen, one of the ways that Satan will attack God's people is through the lust of the eyes. And that's why I like that song so much. And in fact, I've included it in this message this morning. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. And then it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. How does a child of God keep from looking at this world and falling in love with the world? You put your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on, how do I keep my eyes on Jesus? You keep your eyes on Jesus through the word of God. And so we need to look at him. In fact, Jesus told us how important it is to be careful what we look at. He said in the book of Matthew, now he's not telling us literally to pluck out our eyes. You understand that. But he said, if your right eye offends you, do what? Pluck it out. You're better to go into heaven without a right eye than to let what you look at keep you from faithfully serving God. The average believer today might have been impressed by Babylon. They might have looked upon Babylon the hanging gardens and, and all that they had in Babylon and said, Man, this is fantastic. But I tell you what, Daniel was not impressed. He wanted no part of being a Babylonian. He was like Paul in Athens. Paul went to Athens. He saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And he was not moved by that. He was not moved to worship idols by that. He was not impressed by that. So the appetite appealed to the lust of the eyes, but Nebuchadnezzar's table also appealed to the lust of the flesh. Appetite, because he had an appetite for it, speaks of things of the world that the flesh craves. Again, you are what you eat. Spiritually as well as physically. If you only eat junk food, you're going to have bad health. You're going to have high blood pressure. You might have diabetes. You might have all sorts of problems. But if you'll eat healthy food, you can be healthy. Well, listen, as a child of God, if you fill up on what the world offers, you're going to be in bad spiritual health too. Babylon may offer much junk food to feed upon, but it's spiritual junk food. And there are churches today that are feeding on spiritual junk food. They're offering entertainment for worship. They're offering many different things to attract the world instead of staying with the Word of God and the true worship of God. And much worship today, if you'll listen to it, if you'll notice it, leaves out repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. I'll just be a good person. You'll go to heaven, all right. Come join us, you'll go to heaven, all right. The food of Babylon did not appeal to To Daniel. In fact, what Daniel knew that a small portion of God's pulse would do a lot more for them, health-wise, physically, than all of the food and anything that Nebuchadnezzar could offer. That's a lesson we need to learn. Just serving God, faith in God, getting into the Word of God will do more for us as God's people than anything the world has to offer. And then right quickly, Nebuchadnezzar's table appealed to the pride of life. Now again, the Babylonians want to change Daniel into one of them. But Daniel, just like Moses, you know, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. Moses could have been a big important person in the land of Egypt, but what does the scripture say in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 about him? He chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, and Daniel was just like Moses, he chose to suffer with the people of God. He realized that Babylon is not all there is to life. We have young people today, young adults that are looking at this world and all that it has and all that it offers and I say, man, that, that's got to be it. And then they reach the top and they get everything the world has and they say, there's something missing. I'll tell them what's missing. Jesus Christ is missing from their lives. Service of God is missing from their lives. And so the world and all that the world has to offer is not all there is to life. There is a life after this life. Daniel, just like those in Hebrews 11, looked for a city whose builder and maker was God and it wasn't on this earth. It's a heavenly city. Because Daniel withstood the appearance and the appetite and the appeal of Babylon and desired the things of God, he was ultimately rewarded of the Lord. That's the first test. He chose not to partake of Nebuchadnezzar's table and God rewarded him. Here's the second test and it's the feast of Belshazzar. Turn over to chapter 5 here in the book of Daniel for a moment. Daniel chapter 5. Now, Belshazzar, it says, was Nebuchadnezzar's son. All right? And we read in chapter five, verse one, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. We're going to read a little bit more in a moment, but here was a feast that was full of revelry. It was full of revelation and it was full of retribution. Because if we keep reading, look what happened. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, it got to him a little bit, okay. Okay commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. He's going to involve the things that were dedicated to the service of God in his idol worship and in his revelry, okay? Verse three, then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines Drank in them. He's on a drunken binge. And in his arrogance in his drunken binge, he says, you know, all those vessels we took out of that temple there in Jerusalem. They're not any different than any other. Bring them here. We're going to drink out. of. We're just going to show that Baal is mightier than their God. Or we're going to just make light of their God. Whatever he thought. He wants to bring those vessels and drink of them. Listen folks America is on a drunken binge today. In fact we've been on a drunken binge for quite a while. Here's what we need to be asking today. Are there any Daniels in the land? Are there any Daniels and are there people who are ready and willing to speak for God? Because we're going to see Daniel speak for God in just a moment you're only ready to speak for God publicly when you've been true to God personally and privately. You know why so many folks can't witness today? I'm going to tell you why many. Yeah, you know, I said not long ago, I want to be like Elijah. But you know why so many people don't witness, won't witness, can't witness today? Because they're on the drunken binge with the rest of the country. They're on the drunken binge with the rest of the world. You say, are you calling them drink? No, I didn't say that. They're just on the binge. All right? We want to be like the world. We, you know, it'll cost us too much. People will look funny at us. People will talk about us. People may not like me as much if I really take a stand for God. And so I'm just going to keep quiet. Listen to some live stream or or, or listen to a, a podcast or maybe visit church and you'll hear how to be saved. Or, you know, some may not even be able to tell them themselves how to be saved. Because even though they're members of a church and they've been dunked under the water, they're not saved themselves. You know, I had a preacher friend. I guess he's still a friend. I just hadn't heard from him in years and years. Told me a story about the day he got kicked out of seminary. He got kicked out of seminary because he's sort of a smart aleck. he joined the army. He goes to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, his buddy got hit real bad and was dying. And his buddy said, and this guy's name was Jim. His buddy said, Jim, you're, you're a preacher. He said tell me how to be saved. And he says, you know what? I could not tell him how to be saved because I was not saved myself. And that's why a lot of people can't tell somebody how to be saved, they don't know. And I'm talking about people who profess Jesus Christ as savior. You're only ready to speak for God when you have been true to God personally and privately. Notice what Daniel says, look beginning in verse 18 of chapter five. Look at what Daniel says. He's called. Remember what happened? There was handwriting on the wall. And all of this drunken feast suddenly appeared a hand writing on the wall. Nobody could understand it. And the king called for all of his experts. All of his educated people. And he says, what's that say on the wall? And they said, we can't interpret it. We don't know what it says on the wall. And finally, somebody says, wait a minute, there's one man. By the way, I'm going to point this out later, but Daniel hadn't come to the feast. Daniel had stayed away. Pastor of the church one time, they were going to do something. I knew wasn't right. I said, y'all are going to do it. You're determined to do it, but I won't be here. I didn't make them too happy, but I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't stay there long. But anyway, Daniel says, i am not go to that. But somebody said, there's a man can interpret that. And so they called Daniel. And over in verse 18, Daniel speaking to Belshazzar, and he says, O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him and he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. First thing Daniel does, he reminds Belshazzar of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a man of great glory. God let him have that. God let him conquer lands. God let him conquer peoples. So much so that he was lifted up in his own pride. And he turned against and defiled God. And God brought him down. And so he reminds Belshazzar of what Nebuchadnezzar did. But now look at verse 22. And he says, and thou his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Let me tell you something. Children are more likely to do what they see their parents do than what they hear their parents say. They learn from example. An unfaithful parent many times will produce unfaithful children. An unsaved parent many times will produce unsaved children. Children learn from their parents. And what Daniel says to him, is, you didn't learn from your daddy, okay? <laughs> you just didn't learn from daddy. And so he says, but thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, the concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Do you realize what he said to him? He said, listen, your life is in the hand of God. Your breath is in the hand of God. And if God so chooses, he can stop it. That's what he's reminding him of. And so he begins in verse 26. We see what the handwriting was in verse 25. He says in verse 25, this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mini, mini of Harson,' And this is the interpretation of the thing. Mene means that God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tiko, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. He told him this Belshazzar, you're on the way out. You're on the way out, bud. You won't glorify God. You didn't learn from what happened to your daddy, and you won't glorify God. Fixing be over for you. And here's what Babylon was unaware of, and what Belshazzar was unaware of. They were just a few hours away from judgment. Because the Medes and the Persians came in and defeated them. See, what America and our world do not realize that we're just a short time away from judgment, folks. It could be today. It could be next month. It could be next year. I don't think it'll be 10 years from now. Most people don't realize it. Here's what we need. We need people who can understand the signs of the times. Look around and see what's happening, especially in the Middle East, and see what is taking place and how people are, are just ignoring God and ignoring what God's Word says. In Matthew chapter six, verses two and three, listen to what Jesus said. He answered and said unto them, "When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be fair weather today, for the sky is red and And You ever heard that? Red in the morning, better take warning. Red at night, sailor's delight. You know where they get it? got it from the Bible. Then Jesus said, Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You know what we need? Some of the folks who are predicting the weather and looking at all the signs and predicting the weather today need to get into the Bible and look into the Bible and see what the Bible is predicting about the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. We live in ignorance. The wise men of Babylon could not interpret the inscription because they could not read God's handwriting. And America is at Belshazzar's feast today. And the handwriting's on the wall, folks. Handwriting's on the wall. And you know what's sad? Folks can't read the signs of the times. Look at the economic situation in the world. Look at the... Things that are happening in the world. I had so many people when COVID started. Do you think this is the uh, the Antichrist is coming on the scene? Well, I don't really know, but I didn't think so about then and and don't think so now. That's not what's going to cause it, you know. Just read the signs of the times. Look at the Middle East. Look what's going on in the world, and people can't do it. There are some folks who are beginning to read it, beginning to understand it. And you know why? Because it's God's handwriting. And only if you're close to God can you read God's handwriting. Our dad, when he had his accident, broke all the bones in his right hand and lost the end of his right thumb. And his handwriting wasn't real easy to read before that. But it was much more difficult to read. But we could read it. And you know why we could read it? Because we were close to him. We'd seen his handwriting before. We were familiar with his handwriting. And this is the handwriting of God and the Word of God. And there are people today who say, well, I can't read that. I can't understand that. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to declare it void and, and invalid and I'm just not going to pay any attention to it. And there those of us who are familiar with God's handwriting who read it and say, look, the time of the coming of Christ is near. Now again, Daniel, note this, that he didn't attend the feast. They had to send for him. He knew that no child of God had any business in a pagan feast. And no child of God today has any business at a pagan feast or at worldly things that go on. His reputation was so advanced that he could just decline. I'm not going to the feast, king. And apparently the king says, okay. But because of his refusal, because of his reputation, as I said a moment ago, there are people who could say, look, there is a man. Listen, folks, we ought not want to be that, that man, that person. Somebody starts asking, well, what's the world coming to? What's happening in the world? What does all of this mean? That somebody would be able to say, there's somebody I know that can tell you. And they're not even a preacher. They're just a church member. Just a church member. Listen to that. They're they're not even a preacher. And they can tell you what all of this means. Listen, I'm glad Daniel didn't say I can't read it either. You know, (laughs) what would I have said about Daniel? But too many today cannot read and understand heaven's message. Try to ignore the significance of the times. We are living in the last days. The coming of Christ is near. Some read into God's message what never was there. Some are afraid of the truth and don't want to read it at all. It's God's handwriting. And I hope you're able to read God's handwriting. And here's what Daniel did. He read the message... He read all of the message, and he read it right. You know what we need today? Especially in pulpits today, we need preachers who will read the handwriting, who will read the handwriting right, and who will then declare what the handwriting says to people who are around. Listen, this is what God says, it's not my opinion. It's what the word of God says. I've told you many times. I mentioned this again in Sunday school class. When it's my opinion, I'm going to do the best to tell you it's my opinion. And you can place whatever value, zero to whatever you want on that. But if it's the word of God, you better listen to it. That's not a threat. That's just a declaration. And any Daniel who will declare God's message is not popular today, but is needed To declare God's word to a lost and dying world. But you know what it takes? It takes a commitment. It takes forsaking some things. But it takes purposing in your heart. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I don't want to be like the world. So there's the second test. Belshazzar's feast and Daniel stood strong. And Daniel said, here's what it means. Well, here's the third one. And this time we get on over into uh, chapter 6. This time it's not Daniel's private life. This time it's not Daniel's public life. It's Daniel's prayer life that gets him in trouble. Daniel's adversaries ganged up on him but he went ahead with his devotions the scripture says as he did aforetime. He didn't let People who were opposed to him stop him from doing what he knew he ought to do. And see, Daniel prayed regularly, and his adversaries knew when he prayed, right? Listen, the devil is in a constant conspiracy against anybody who will be given to prayer. If there's one thing the devil does not want you and me doing as children of God, it's getting on our knees before God and praying. He says to his demons, boys, let them go to church. Let them sing. Let them go through all their stuff that they do. But don't let them get on their knees. Don't let them pray seriously and with power before God. Stop it at all costs. But you see, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and we had that verse last Sunday evening, that's where the victory is won. We will win the victory over sin in our lives and in other areas on our knees because alone you and I are no match for the devil. What a believer, I put this on Facebook just this week and I'm going to repeat it and I've got it up here this morning. What a believer is in his prayer closet is what he is, no more, no less. Daniel's decision of commitment ended up getting him in the lion's den. We know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. We've heard it, many of us from a childhood up. In Daniel chapter six, verse three, look at what it says. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. You realize what happens there? The king says, this Daniel's a good guy. And I'm going to promote him. In fact, I'm going to promote him over the whole realm. So Daniel is in the process of being promoted. And what happens? His enemies target him. Listen to verses four and five. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. The people who opposed him said, we got to find something. we got to get something on him. We can't let him reach this position the king wants to put him in. We've got to stop him. And so they began to look at his personal life. They began to look at his public life. They looked at his private life. They looked at his public life. And they said, there's nothing there. What are we going to say against him? There's nothing that we can take and use against Daniel to keep him from having This position, and again, because the Bible says that he was just, he was faithful. When he worked for the king, he did what the king asked. He was loyal to his employer, to his king. See, there's a scripture that teaches us that whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whatever we're supposed to do, we do it as unto the Lord, okay? We're to be faithful in everything that we do. One of the things that was said about the Waldensian believers During the dark ages was that they were good workers. They were good employees. That they were honest and that they worked hard. And that they would do the job that they were given to do. But verse 5 says this. Then said these men. We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel. Look at this. Except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We can't get you in your private life. We can't get you in your public life. We're going to get you in your life before God. We're going to find something in your service of God. We're going to find something in your worship of God, in your dedication to God. And so after he was targeted, he was persecuted, verses 10 through 12, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. Now what was the what writing was signed? See, these guys that were trying to get him were pretty slick. And they come to Darius the king and they say, look, we think you're a good guy. And in fact, we think you're so mighty and so powerful and so wonderful that you ought to sign a decree for a certain period of time that no one should make any supplication of anybody, any God or anything other than you. Well, that'd appeal to your ego, wouldn't it? And so he signed it. Now, the problem with the law of the Medes and the Persians was it was written in stone. You don't change it. Once it's signed, it's signed. Okay? Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and look at this, and his windows being open. (laughs) He's not hiding. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of us, if we knew that, we still wanted to pray, we'd go in our house, we'd close the curtains, we'd close the windows, we'd turn off all the lights so people would think we weren't home, and then we'd get down on our knees and pray. Well, it's like Daniel went out in his front yard. He said, "Okay, Lord, I'm going to talk to you now." You know, he was not ashamed. He was not afraid to stand for God. And so, his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. The change in the law did not change Daniel. Yeah. Folks in Afghanistan meet. Figure they're probably going to die. Right now in America, we're free to meet, but what if there's a law passed that says if you meet, you're gonna go to prison or worse, you'll be put to death. How many of us would continue to meet? You wanna hear my opinion? Well, you're going to. Based on what we can see, not just in this church, but in all churches, if such a law were passed, many churches would be practically empty, if not empty because we can't even get people to come to church when there's no law against it. When the weather's good, you know, if the weather's good, we want to go to the lake or, you know, golf course or wherever. If the weather's bad or can't get out, it's raining. I've got to stay home. Remember that verse from Ecclesiastes that about he that waits on the perfect conditions will never sow or will never harvest. We got people waiting on perfect conditions to go to church. Well, guess what? They're not coming back. You say, preacher, don't be so negative. I'm not negative. I'm just observant after all these years of preaching. But Daniel didn't change. Daniel said, I'm going to do what I've always done. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying. It wasn't too hard to find him. His windows are open. Okay. And they knew when he prayed, they assembled and found Daniel and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. And in verse 16, it says, then the king commanded and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Darius says, okay. Darius, Darius, however you want to say it. Says, okay, let's see if God's going to deliver you. You wanted to violate the law. You wanted to pray to your God instead of pray to me. Let's see if your God can deliver you. We sang that song earlier. He is able to deliver thee. But you keep reading. And you get down to verse 18. Then the king went to his palace. Remember, this is Darius the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him and his sleep went from him. He knew what he had done and he couldn't sleep. You ever tossed and turned all night long? You ever had a night when you couldn't sleep? Maybe because of some problem, maybe because of something you thought, well, I shouldn't have done that and it bothers you. Well, here's the king and he can isn't it amazing It's not Daniel that can't sleep. It's the king who can't sleep. He tossed and turned, and early in the morning, verse 20, it says, Early in the morning he rushed to the lion's den, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel, and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lion's? That's when Darius found out something about the power of God. And Daniel said, now this is paraphrasing, obviously. Daniel said, King, you should have slept last night. I spent the night down here in the lion's den and used the lion as a pillow. Who knows? (laughs) I'm alive and well. My God is able to deliver me. I've been sleeping in a lion's den with an angel on guard. Listen. I believe this world, this troubled generation may not admit it, but at heart they wonder whether our God's able to deliver us. You know, one of the great problems with quote unquote Christianity America today is there's very little reality in it. What do you mean reality? Because I'm a Christian, but I'm going to act like the world. I'm a Christian, but when there's a problem, I'm going to react like the world. I'm a Christian, but... I'm not going to live like a Christian. There's just no reality. That's why many are forsaking what they call organized religion. Isaiah 57, 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. That's what was happening with the king. He was just tossing and turning. Faith sounds fine on a Sunday morning sermon, doesn't it? Have faith. It's almost like power of positive thinking, you know. Have faith. Trust God. Have faith. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But what about when you get in the lion's den? How's your faith going to be then? Well, I'm not going to any lion's den. Oh, maybe you have problems at work. Maybe you have problems at home. Maybe things just aren't. One of those, have you ever had one of those days when just nothing went right? This is the way my day started out this morning. I'll tell you what it's gotten better. But just one of those days, where's your faith then? I'm going to trust God when trouble comes, when sickness comes, when death comes, when dreams have faded. You trusting God? When enemies rise up against us, is God able to deliver us? I'm here to tell you this morning with a resounding Yes. My God is able to deliver. I've seen him do it, folks. In my life. (laughs) He is able to deliver us. We need Daniels. This church needs Daniels. Christianity in America, so-called, needs Daniels. Who will stand up in their public life and in their private life and in their prayer life and be so devoted to God that they will say yes. Yes. He's able to deliver me, and I'm going to stand for Him. Since we're in Daniel, I want to bring, I mentioned them earlier and close with this, but the three Hebrew children, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Oh, I'm sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to mention them, because do you remember what they said when they were condemned to the fiery furnace? This is chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. If so be, our God whom we serve is able to deliver. They knew God could deliver them from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, they understood that God might actually have a purpose in their suffering, okay? But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I said, look, God can deliver us. He may choose not to, but that's all right with us. So they knew they had something better waiting if God didn't deliver them, didn't they? Paul faced the lion's den too. Second Timothy chapter four, verses 16 and 17. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding here. See, nobody stood with me, Paul says. And I like verse 17 because it said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You ever felt totally alone? You ever felt abandoned? You're not. You are never so not alone. <laughs> okay. As when you're alone with God. The Lord stood with me. And strengthen me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered from the mouth of the lion, he says. It's great to be able to say no to the fair of Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? Hey, I don't want to be a part of the world and all that's going on in the world. It's great to understand the handwriting on the wall. Listen, I know what's coming. Y'all ought to listen to the message, right? But here's what's greater than all of that is to be able to look a troubled world square in the face and say, I know that my God is able to deliver me Amen. regardless of what comes. That is the greatest, the greatest thing I can think of. He's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That's what Paul said in Second Timothy chapter one verse twelve. He's able, Ephesians three twenty, to do exceedingly abundantly above anything I can ask or think. He's able to succor them that are tempted, according to Hebrews the second chapter verse eighteen. He's able, Hebrews seven twenty five, to save us to the uttermost. He is able to keep us from falling, Jude verse twenty four. He is able to subdue. All things unto himself. Philippians 3.21. And he is going to do it. He is able. What's your need this morning? I'm speaking to the most part people. As far as I know. I don't know your hearts. I suppose you're all saved. But we all have needs, don't we? What is your need this morning? As a child of God. Preacher, I need courage to stand He's able. Preacher, I need a willingness to witness. He's able. Preacher, I just need some calmness in my life. He is able. Preacher, I, just, I, I, I would like to feel some security in my life. He is able. Okay. Whatever it is, our God is able.